G'day everyone, Chris Thunder and Alex Rudy Williams here with another edition of Wrestling All-Star. Alex, there's not really any easy way to say this. This was probably one of the darkest wrestling weeks in um, recent memory. Yeah, I, I don't want to compare it to any weeks, but, but I do remember that week in 2015 where we lost Dusty and Piper and I think there was someone else all in a short period of time, but... But they were relatively, you know, they they had lived their years a bit. But what's happened in this past week is we've lost we've lost three people, two of which just well before their time, and it's just it's been real tough to watch wrestling this week because of everything that's going on around it. Yeah. So that's why we've had to flip our schedule a little bit because quite frankly, I didn't I just wasn't in the mood to go back and watch an entire month's worth of Australian wrestling when I could just, you know, just sit back and just watch one show of AEW's Double or Nothing because right now it's just like I can't be, I I can't get out of the mindset of of grief and negativity, to be honest. So just this one show will do for us for the time being. So apologies to anyone listening that was hoping to hear us talk about February, but we will get there. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll get there on next show, but. Like Alex mentioned, with the amount of news we're just about to cover, it's better suited to move the AEW Double or Nothing forward and drop uh, reviewing Dynamite from it. So I guess we'll just jump right into the news. So on May 17th, wrestler Shad Gaspard passed away at the age of 39. Best known for his time in WWE as part of the tag team Crime Time with JTG, While swimming at the beach with his son and other members of the public, he was caught in a riptide, and in a last heroic act, he told the lifeguards to rescue his son before him, and he disappeared in the waves. Man, this was just heartbreaking to hear about. And you go back, and everyone's talked about it now, but you go back and you look at some of the things Shad's done with his life, it really starts to show how how fearless he was as a man. He stopped an, arm, an armed robbery by himself once. Like, this guy's just a hero. Like, he is just fearless. Yeah. And I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe what I was reading when I saw this bit of news. Like, this was just heartbreaking. Yeah, and... The armed robbery he stopped the guy was later revealed to just have like a um a bb gun yeah he didn't know that but he didn't know that at the time yeah and he tackled him to the ground dragged him outside the store and held him on the ground until the police arrived yeah that's just insane he's just that's just a different level of human being and honestly i just wish this world was filled up with a few more a few more people close to the level of a Shad Gaspard. Yeah, and especially in his his last sort of act, telling the lifeguards to 
to rescue his son first and then come back for him. Yeah, I was I was listening to another podcast recently and and they put it perfectly by saying that Shad Gus Gaspar did what all parents like to think they would do, but probably wouldn't either. <laughs> you know, like under pressure, it's a crazy thing. Who knows what you would do in that situation? But in that situation, he was able to just like he made that sacrifice. It's absolutely insane to me what happened, and yeah, like all all respect and props to the first responders and everyone that helped out there looking for Shad after he got caught under the riptide and. Yeah, this is just, it's just been an unreal week. Like, I, I struggle to watch anything in the past week that has even the slightest semblance of emotion in it without, like, almost breaking into tears just because this has just been chaos this week. Yeah, and sadly it wouldn't stop there. We'd have, uh, on May 19th, wrestling journalist Larry Zonka passed away. Best known for his work with 411 Mania, he was a regular guest on uh, radio shows like Sunday Night's Main Event and RBR Weekly Wrestling Talk over recent years. Yeah, um, to be perfectly honest, I only knew him from a couple of his appearances on RBR and on, I think it was The Law back in the day, but... Man, this, like, how old was he? I'm not sure. I couldn't find that out. Um, I know he had a wife and two young kids, and last year he had his um, leg amputated because he was on Sunday night's main event and said when he was healthy that he was just going to get back to doing more and more wrestling reviews. Yeah, it's and from what I read, he reported on wrestling like just hours after he had his leg amputated. Like that's just yeah, this is it's another thing, you know. It's just another heartbreaking thing in the whole laundry list of heartbreaking things this past week. And it wasn't like the guy just covered Raw and SmackDown. He covered stuff like Ring of Honor, um, TNA, some of the indie, some of the overseas stuff. So this was a guy who tried to cover absolutely everything. This is a, as far as wrestling journalists get, this is one of the most credible news sources you can find. This isn't just someone copying copying and pasting what he heard from a podcast. This is this is the real deal. This is someone that actually went through a lot of effort and work to get the news to report to the fans. And then on May 23rd, it marked the 21 years since Owen Hart passed away at WWF's Over the Edge in 1999. Uh, the season finale of Dark Side of the Ring, The Final Days of Iron Heart, also aired 
this past week on SBS Viceland in Australia. I'll be honest with you, this was just heartbreaking to watch at points. Man, like, this was really tough to watch. And, like, Martha Hart has somewhat been villainized by wrestling fans over the years for not letting us have Owen in the Hall of Fame like the Hall of Fame actually means something. But, yeah, just to hear and see the emotion she has and hear, like, everything she went through. She's one tough woman. Like, just incredibly strong. Yeah, and you look like this is probably one of the only public interviews his son and daughter have ever done on the uh, issue and his son's a lawyer I believe or studying to become a lawyer and his daughter just has a love of animals I can't remember if they said she was working as like a, a vet or a zoologist but that's one of the memories she had with her father was animals and yeah any point arguing Owen should go in the hall of fame now is just no there's no way you can argue that after seeing this document documentary yeah. Sadly, that wouldn't be the end of the sad news for the week. Yeah. Oh, this bit of news. Also, on May 23rd, wrestler Hannah Kimura passed away at the age of 22. Uh, best known for a time in stardom, where she was the leader and founder of Tokyo Cyber Squad. Hannah was the daughter of Kimono Kimura, who was the founder of Edo Tai faction in stardom as well, where Hannah had previously wrestled. Um, in the last year, Hannah had wrestled in both the Madison Square Garden for the G1 Supercard and Tokyo Dome for Wrestle Kingdom 14. An achievement only matched by Mayu Iatani. Hannah was rumoured to be one of the top stars for stardom under the new Bushiroad ownership. Along with Mayu Itami, Julia and Arasha Hiroshiki, who retired due to head and neck injuries on May 20th, just three days earlier. I'm sorry if I've mispronounced that. Hannah was also a cast member on the Netflix reality show Terrace House. I once said on the show, I came here because I want more people to become interested in wrestling. She was only 22 years old. Man. This whole thing. Thankfully, like, I missed her, her initial tweets and images she was tweeting out that day. I have no interest in even, like, seeing them or whatever because they eventually got deleted but when this whole news struck oh just broke my heart and I'm not even going to come out here and say like uh, that I follow stardom greatly or that I have a love for Joshi wrestling like I like outside of the female Japanese wrestlers that come over to the major promotions there's literally one female Japanese wrestler that I can name, and that's Hanukimura. And I just, 
Yeah, she's like the only one that sort of transcended all that for me and I was able to even know the name and like I'd heard so many good things about her. I'd only seen a couple of her matches. But she definitely had that star power and that, oh, it's just such a shame. It's such a waste and it's people like we need to have a, Long, hard look of what we're posting out there because, yeah, even if they're megastars, they've got a couple of million followers or whatever, they're going to see it. And they are human beings after all with real emotions. And you can really, really get to someone sometimes. Yeah, yeah. This, this was... I remember I was sitting at home watching... One of the shows we were gonna review t- uh, today, and um, you just sent me for a message, and you said something along the lines of, "Man, it's terrible about what happened to Hana Kimura." And I'm like, "What do you mean? Is she injured or something?" And you're going, "No, Chris, uh, she's dead." And yeah, it's just sort of caught you off guard, and it's just like, "What? What happened?" and you look into it and it's it's yeah really really sad and just the outpouring of support from like you said the um Japanese uh lady wrestlers over in the US like um Asuka tweeted out some nice nice things and um Hikaru Shida and uh Kari Sane and Io Shirai apparently were awake at the time and notified the stardom office so that that was hard to um read but yeah it's just amazing to see the outpouring of support and i was looking at some of the matches last night actually and there's a match on there where she's in a tag match against tony storm (laughs) so yeah it's just and she wrestled uh avery last year in the um stardom was it G five star tournament? I think it's caught off the top of my head. I'm sorry if I've got that wrong, but yeah, the tournament Avery went over for last year. She wrestled Hannah Kimura in a singles match. Yeah, there's even been like people like Will Ospreay put out some tweets and like did you see Will Ospreay's tweets about how he was watching something on his phone? And Hanukkah just came over and just sat there with him for 15 minutes and watched this thing. And and she says, oh, I hated that. That was horrible to watch or whatever it was. I, it was boring or whatever. And Will Ospreay's like, well, then why don't you sit around and watch it? And she just said, because I just wanted to hang out with Will Ospreay. Like, come on, man. There's that's just that's just too wholesome for this world, man. Like I, I don't know what was going on on that terrace house show. I'd never seen it. Definitely don't have much interest in watching it now. But it, from what I've heard, it's more so the terrace house fans that uh, that really went hard at Hanukkah rather than the wrestling fans. But 
I don't know what was going on there, whether she was she was the reality TV show heel for the season or whatever, but people just need to remember that even if you're watching someone talking on the news, they're still a character. They're still sh- only showing you what they want you to show, what they want you to see. Oh, yeah, and that's, that's 100%. Like, if I'm having a bad day and I go to work, I still put a smile on. I may be feeling like absolute crap but i'll still go to work and smile and go oh yeah have a nice day thanks come back again soon yeah like you serving you serving grog at the bottle is is a bloody it's a character to some people it's not a hundred percent the real you because the real you isn't going to be wanting to serve grog all the time to people but you have to sort of put on this character for the public. And whatever this character was that she was portraying on Terrace House, people took it as legit. And that's the problem with reality shows is that people sometimes forget that what you're seeing on TV are people essentially being characters. Yeah, and Terrace House is sort of like a Big Brother type reality show except they can leave the house and go around the city and stuff um the only reason i really know of it is because i was listening to the post wrestling guys and they'd constantly talk about and talk about hunter kimura on that show so yeah definitely that's definitely one of the things that really um brought hunter kimura to my attention as well but i had heard her name a fair few times as well just as being, like, the top Joshi wrestler in the world at times, you know? At, like, 22 years old. Like, it's, like, kind of heartbreaking if you think about, like, if you think about the things that she could have accomplished. Like... Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there was a news article I was listening to, um... Jim Valley the other day on Wrestling Observer Live on the weekend and he tweeted out a photo and it's Hunter winning the DDT heavy metal iron weight championship like their 24-7 championship and she's won it at the age of um, eight years old because she used to go to the shows with her mother and then later that night she lost <laughs> the championship to her mother. That's so did her mother turn heel on her daughter and steal the title? Is that what you're trying to say? I guess. I'm I'm not fully versed in that. But um If so, that's awesome. Um But yeah. Yeah. She'd been in the ring for so long and and we all know that those Japanese female pro wrestlers, they get started young and you know, at 22, like, that's pretty close to the end of the road for a female Japanese wrestler. Like, they sort of get forced into retirement pretty early. Is it, I'm not too sure if that's still how it is, but that's definitely how it was at one point. I don't think it's as bad as as that anymore. But that probably would have been the perfect time for her to transition, and she probably would have taken the American scene by storm. She was easily going to, and... If not, she um she was already in Ring of Honor, so she could have gone back there, or... 
I'm sure AEW would have had a high on the cards once she finished. Yeah, I meant a major promotion. Sorry, Brooksy. Sorry, Slex. <laughs> <laughs> Kellyanne. Yeah, Kellyanne. Yeah, I meant like if she had a um a partnership contract with them because Stardom's partnered um with Ring of Honor, she could have gone to All Elite or WWE or even somewhere else. It, it's it's just sad to see somebody like like at 22 man I just started working in the bar and had just moved back to Queensland and yeah at 22 like I barely knew how to handle any social interactions so I I can understand I can understand that like her taking things to heart the way she did because Jeez, I was an emotional train wreck at 22. Give, give me bloody, give me one beer at 22. I'm going to start dancing. Give me a second beer, I'll start crying. The third beer, I'll start fighting. Like, like at 22, I was, I was all over the shop. So, and people were just forgetting that this was a 22-year-old young, young woman that they were tweeting at and saying all these horrible things. And the amount of support that's coming out, not just from the the um, Asian uh, wrestling community, as I'd mentioned before, but you have people in WWE tweeting out, like Natty and Ronda. You've got people from Impact and Ring of Honor. Dude, I've seen, seen Baron Corbin tweet about this. Like, Oh, really? Yeah. And... You, you know what? Like, weirdly enough, I, I thought to myself, like, when this whole thing came out, like, imagine the imagine the crap that he would have to take. Like... Oh, like, I'm sure we all laughed about it. What was it last WrestleMania when the guy had his match against uh, Angle in Angle's retirement match? I'm sure backstage Corbin was hyped. Oh, yeah, I love wrestling and Angle's been a hero of mine I used to watch him as a kid and every day he'd wake up to you're not worthy why can't you quit and let John Cena wrestle and yeah yeah like I saw he tweeted something about something oh, I don't know he goes he said something along the lines of despite what you see from me on television bullying isn't cool or something like that like and, like, many people have tweeted about it because this, is, this isn't just a... It's definitely not just a wrestling problem. Like, I follow the Survivor community online. Like, whoever the big, like, bad guy of the season is, they cop it. They cop it hard from the fans. Like, Wendell from the most recent season of Survivor, he was just copping it hard. But, like, oh, you, you treated Michelle wrong, blah, blah, blah. And no one even knows his side of the story. Like, so how could you even say it? But every time he posts something, like, oh, just going, going to the gym today. Oh, get back with Michelle. Oh, you, you're... You're not worth Michelle's time, blah, blah, blah. Like, imagine just being, like, posting on the internet, oh, just had a good workout at the gym, and then being told, 
oh, your ex-girlfriend's too good for you. Like, that would suck. Yeah. Like, the the dark side of social media, I guess. Like, I'm sort of thankful in a way that we didn't have it to this extent going through high school. Like, admittedly, I got picked on a bit in high school. Yeah. And, yeah, it sucks. And you try to just go through being nice to everyone, you'll still get idiots picking on you. Like, imagine how much worse it is for those kids now. They go home and it's right there in their pocket the whole day. Yeah, exactly. Or, like, or like you get... Someone does something in class, it pisses you off, so you just grab your phone and you post something on the internet. Just like that. Just like that, and you've just put something out there to the entire world just based off a second's, like, emotional rage that you might have even forgotten about by the end of the day. Like, people just need to take a big, deep breath and think before they post. Absolutely. And, like, it's easy for us to sort of sit here and give our opinions on this, and this was an incident towards a a young woman, and I'm sure the young women probably do get a lot worse on social media with all the idiot males on there. Like, not to say, not to say every male on social media is an idiot, it's just the people on social media that are idiots seem to be a lot more of the time to be males. Well, let's just say testosterone doesn't mix well with a Wi-Fi connection. And, yeah, most of even the nicest of blokes just turn into real, real big pieces of poopy on the internet sometimes, especially when it comes to women. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all just need to take a deep breath and think before we send. Yeah, just... How about how about people just stop posting what they don't like? And I'm guilty of this. We're wrestling fans. Our podcast basically revolves around what we like and what we didn't like about a certain show. So as wrestling fans, we tend to focus more on the negatives. How about we just post about what we like instead? Like... Doesn't sound too hard to me. Yeah, yeah, just goal for the week is just to try to limit what we put out negative, negatively and try to boost up the uh, the positivity posts. Yeah, exactly. Spread positivity and, yeah. Um, yeah, so would you like to move on to Double or Nothing? Yeah, there's no easy way to transition, so we... Might as well, and it's probably not the last time we're going to have to mention a couple of these tragic incidents anyway, so let's just get into it. Okay, so All Elite Wrestling's Double or Nothing 2 from Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida, in the USA. Uh, We both have AEW through Fight TV, so the event was only $20 Australian. I paid $30. Oh, really? Yeah, they must have bumped up the price, like, into the final week. Oh, did you wait to buy it? Yeah, yeah. I, I sort of, like, was I'm an Anarin. Like, I sort of share a fight account, cough, cough, with a couple of people. And I was hoping, oh, maybe one of those lazy buggers would actually pay for it for a change. But 
we got to the final hour and it still wasn't purchased so yeah usually usually the weekend of or after the go home show they um don't have the pre-sale price on anymore so i paid 20 and alex paid (laughs) paid 30 um including the buying this went for four hours and 15 minutes um so on the buy-in commentary team is excalibur and taz as an on-location interview tony's in a dilapidated house interviewing jake roberts what did i missed i didn't know any of this what did i miss? did you not watch the buy-in i didn't watch the buy-in oh man uh, I'm, I'm gonna go back and watch it after we're finished talking about this what you missed was lance archer's swinging a big sledgehammer at a tire and tony asks jake is he ready and jake says sure he's ready he walks off into another part of the house and takes a sledgehammer to like this old toilet and just shatters it. Oh, I love that stuff. You know that's the stuff I love. I, I just love big boys doing big boy things. Yeah, the the only problem on this, the buy-in's not linked in with the pay-per-view on fight. You do have to go to a def- different section of the fight page to find it if you're not watching live at the time. First match of the night, uh, AEW Tag Team championship number one contender match best friends chuck taylor and trent versus private party that's isaiah cassidy and mark quinn not really much to note here private party did hit a g9 on chuck taylor in tribute to shad gaspard but the best friends hit the strong zero on mark quinn for the win in 15 minutes 13 seconds uh so best friends are now the number one contenders for the tag titles and should challenge sometime in the future. Yeah, um, I saw highlights of this match. Um, I particularly checked out the highlights to see the G9 uh, special moment. Um, The best friends are, are fantastic. They've been pretty much on Dynamite or Dark every week even during this pandemic. Uh, yeah, and... Yeah, the, they're really starting to make the most of the TV time and the spotlight they've been getting due to the limited amount of people they can bring in. Yeah, absolutely. There are some who've used this to their advantage, like Pineapple Pete. <laughs> yeah, 100 Well, I wouldn't say that had anything to do with him. No, no, not tonight. He was just more in the crowd. Uh, I mean, like, Pineapple Pete getting over had nothing to do with Pineapple Pete. That was all Chris Jericho. (laughs) Absolutely. Is there nothing that man can get over? (laughs) Dude, he got over a plant. (laughs) Like, he got over Mitch. Don't you speak ill of Mitch? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, um, So from there we go... Tony's doing a ringside interview with Arn, and he just says that Cody will be ready for the championship match later on tonight. Uh, the pay-per-view starts. Commentary team is now like Scalabar, Jim Ross, and Tony Schiavone. There's a video package uh, where the wrestlers say thank you to the essential workers, like healthcare staff. Um, and during this, a graphic is paying tribute to Shad Gaspard. Yeah, so... I feel like part of my job is to mention some of the online response at the moment. And 
some people, like, I don't know if this is PC culture, like, I didn't look into it too hard, but, like, some people got really offended that they shown, like, a wave, like, hitting the beach as a tribute to Shad Gaspard. People were, like, comparing it to, to like, showing a photo of someone's murderer to pay tribute to the victim. I don't know. What are your takes on that? I suppose you could see it that way. Um, I didn't at the time. Um, I'll just say it now. Later on, they did show a photo of Hannah. So for them not to show a photo of Shad tonight as well, I think maybe that's a bit um, bit jarring for some. Yeah. Yeah, but... Um, uh no, nah, they wouldn't own any images of Hunter anyway. I was going to say they might not own any images of Shad, but I'm sure they could get some. Yeah, I'm sure they could have got some photo from one of his Ohio Valley days or something, or even just a family photo. Yeah. Jeez. This, this was like a really emotional start of the show for me anyway. Like I didn't, I didn't think too hard into it. Like how I was pointing out earlier of what I saw on Twitter. Like I didn't think about that at all. I didn't think it was the wrong thing to show. I just thought it was just a really nice image and a really good tribute. Because I also thank the first responders in that video with the Shad incident and. It was a really touching tribute in my eyes. I'd have to agree. Um, so from there, we move on to a bunch of people being interviewed for the casino ladder match. Joe Janela says that he's Ray Phoenix's replacement and that he'll do anything to win. Kip Sabian's next. He's with Penelope Ford and Jimmy Havoc. Says that no disqualification match will work in his favour. Daniels is then interviewed and says that the numbers are in SCU's favour before the best friends are shown trying to explain the rules to Orange Cassidy. And that leads straight into the second match. It's the AEW World Championship number one contender casino ladder match. <laughs> so it's explained at the start, a new wrestler will enter every two minutes, so there's staggered entrances. First wrestler to receive the poker chip wins, even if all nine men have not entered yet. Um, so first tenter was Frankie Kazarian. Number two was Scorpio Sky. Both men start fighting rather than working together. And this was actually a good point I thought from JR. He brought up on commentary that each man has too much honour to throw away a world title opportunity. Dude, they should have just both grabbed it, t- taken it down at the same time, and then sorted it out later who gets the title shot. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, before anyone else comes out, just be like, all right, we can't decide who's going to take this title shot. So let's just both grab it, take it down at the same time, and then hand the chip to Christopher Daniels, and then he'll flip a coin and <laughs> we'll decide who gets the title shot. Done. And then you don't even have to reveal. You could at that point you could have just said and seven mystery opponents, and then you could have just turned SCU heel and been like, "Oh yeah, we had 
Dwayne Johnson out the back. We had Stone Cold getting ready to come out. <laughs> we had the we had a hologram of Andre the Giant. He was going to come down. Like, yep, you, you guys got screwed over by SCU. Um, so number three is Kip Sabian with Penelope Ford. He's standing on the stage as Jimmy Havoc enters from behind and hits both SCU with a ladder. Number four was Darby Allen. He runs down, builds a ladder bridge across the guardrail to the ring apron, lays Frankie on the bridge, climbs a ladder, and drops down onto Frankie whilst on his skateboard and injuring his leg. Yeah, what the hell? That was just ridiculous. Do you think they just now go to Darby and go, we need someone to take a massive jump? Oh, no, Darby will do it. <laughs> I don't even... Do you even think Darby even told anyone about it? Uh, Darby just seems like the guy that just go out there and do it and not let anyone know. <laughs> What's that? Take my skateboard to the ring and climb this ladder? Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Ah, uh, who's next? Um, so number five was Orange Cassidy. He slowly walks out, walks over to the broadcasters, asks how the match works again. <laughs> he asks how the match works again. Tony Schiavone says, Tony Khan tried to explain the rules to Orange Cassidy like 200 times already. Takes him a solid minute just to enter the ring. He stands under the poker chip, puts his arms up, but can't reach because he's standing flat on the mat. (laughs) I love this. Uh, This is what I needed this week. (laughs) Yeah, that was fantastic. Colt comes in at number six. He removes Orange, grabs the ladder and starts climbing it. But everyone returns to stop him. Number seven was Joe Janella, who goes in and cleans house. Number eight was Luchasaurus, who gets in the ring, grabs Kip Savium, and power bombs him onto everyone on the outside. Darby Allen returns and hits a middle rope code red to Luchasaurus that looked really good. At this point, everyone was down as number nine entered, who was the mystery man. And it's revealed to be Brian Cage. With Taz. So for a split second, I thought it actually was Taz. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what? What is happening? I kind of wanted it, though. Yeah, he hasn't wrestled since, what, like 2002, 2003? His last last official match was uh, 2006 at One Night Stand against Jerry Lawler. But it wasn't really a match. <laughs> yeah, but before that was like, what, 02, 03? Because of his injuries? It was like 01, yeah. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, so for a moment I'm like, why is Taz talking? Is it Taz? And then it's like, who will stop the path of Cage? And all of a sudden you just see Brian Cage, he walks out. He's got a ladder in his hand and just rips it in half. He hits the F5000 to Allen. World Series Wrestling Tag Team Champion, by the way. <laughs> Are we going to have a unification someday down the road? Oh, maybe. Cage climbs the ladder with Orange Cassidy on his back and everyone returns to pull him down. All the wrestlers force Cage to the outside and proceed to bury him with chairs, ladders, steel guardrails and a giant poker chip from the set. <laughs> that was... That that chip looked heavy as hell, by the way. Would it take five or six of them to move it? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was like five or six, yeah. Um, so Orange Cassidy and Kip Sabian are climbing the ladder as Penelope Ford returns on the entranceway. Orange Cassidy pushes Kip Sabian onto another ladder on the mat, then pushes Penelope Ford off the standing ladder onto Kip Sabian, who's still on the ladder on the mat. Havoc tries to pull Orange Cassidy off the ladder, and the best friends run in to fight off Havoc. All of a sudden, Marco Stunt is in the ring with a mini ladder and hits a Luchasaurus-assisted choke slam onto Orange Cassidy. Janela hits Orange Cassidy with a DVD onto, a, onto the poker chip on the outside, covering Brian Cage at ringside. Sky and Kazarian are now fighting on top of the ladder before it's tipped over by Luchasaurus. Brian Cage now bursts out of the pole and goes face-to-face with Luchasaurus in the ring. Brian Cage hits a powerbomb onto Luchasaurus into a ladder before a drill claw and a ladder military press sends Alan outside. Yeah, that was, that was an insane spot, by the way. <laughs> yeah, the, the ladder press. Yeah, that was just insane. And that's another instant, uh, instance of I'm 100% positive that would have been Darby's idea. The only man left standing, Brian Cage climbs the ladder, grabs the poker chip, and wins the match in 28-28, with Taz returning to pose in the ring post-match. Um, good opening match on the pay-per-view, I thought. I, I actually enjoyed the concept of this match. Um, on paper, going into it, I didn't like the idea of the gimmick of this match, but it actually worked really well. My only issue is... Uh, the match sort of dragged a little bit after the final entrant came in, and maybe they should have just quickly went to the finish not too long after Cage enters. Yeah, there are a couple of matches on here that do seem to go a bit long, but um, overall I thought it was a really good match. I didn't notice the time as much on this one. Uh, just the only issue I had was sort of SCU not working together for one man to become world champion and rather... Well, there was that spot. There was that spot where Kazarian thought Scorpio Sky hit him in the back with the chair, but it was someone else. Do you remember that spot? Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I've lost that in the notes. So, I think it was... I don't know. Who was one of the heels in this match? I don't know. Generic heel number... Kip. Number one hit Kaz in the back while he was climbing the ladder with a chair. Scorpio Sky takes the chair off him and then hits the heel with the chair and then throws him out of the ring. And then by the time Kaz finally turns around to see who hit him with the chair. Scorpio Sky was underneath the ladder with the chair in his hand. So they could be they could be teasing a little something there. Which I think um Scorpio Sky actually moving away from the group could be a good thing for him. Moving away from oh, what were they in TNA? The addiction. Yeah, bad influence. What else were they? They were the Addiction in Ring of Honor and his bad influence in TNA. Was it? No, so much of TNA is forgettable, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man. I, I honestly just one day hope that 
Kaz and Daniels bring back Claire Lynch. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so we go on to match number three. It's MJF with Wardlow in his corner versus Jungle Boy, or as JR is still sometimes calling him, Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Yeah, uh, I think that's ju- just his name now because JR refuses to call him anything else. Yeah, it's... I don't know if it's because JR knows him personally or because... They want to keep bringing up Luke Perry and JR keeps calling him Jack Perry for that reason. I actually like the the name, like, Jung- I like the name, like, Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Oh, I do too. The fact that no one else calls Jungle Boy Jungle Boy Jack Perry, that's what I don't like about it. The JR's the only one that calls him that. Oh, it sticks out like a sore thumb. So near the start of the match... They're standing on their heads, slapping one another. Uh, later on, MJF's knee buckles, and the ringside doctor comes in to check on him. But as Jungle Boy turns his back, it turns out MJF was just playing possum and charges at Jungle Boy. At one point, Jungle Boy's injured his left arm, which Excalibur noted will be out as he has an orthodox stance which means his right foot is more dominant than his left foot, so he puts his left foot at the front. Jungle Boy hits a destroyer and applies a crossface, but can't lock it in properly as his arm is injured. Later on, MJF is on the mat near the corner, and Jungle Boy decides to climb up to the top rope. MJF grabs referee Aubrey, which leads to her slipping and grasping onto the ropes, and Jungle Boy, as a result, gets crutched on the top rope. In the closing stages, MJF continues to attack the injured arm and catches Jungle Boy in a European clutch pin for the win in 1725. So um, they kept re- like mentioning that this match could be like the like the natural Dustin Rhodes versus stunning Steve Austin at the top of the card of like or at the opening a card in WCW in the early 90s, and this is AEW's version of that. I think that was a really fair comparison. I think it was JR that was talking about it on Dynamite, referring to him as that. Because this is, like, the two top, next top guys, like, for years down the road. And they put on a clinic, I thought. Um, I'm going to say this now. Honestly, I thought as a traditional in-ring match, it was match of the night for me. I'm going to I'm gonna have to shock the world a little bit and actually agree because it was my match of the night too. There's a couple of, a couple of spots that sort of ruined that for other matches, but we'll get there later. Plus, when's the last time MJF won without using the um, the salt of the earth? Yeah, and that that finish they used in this match was really, really well done. And the, the psychology working on that arm was perfect. Yeah, and also keeping MJF's undefeated streak alive. His only loss has come in a four-way where he wasn't pinned or submitted, so they keep reminding you of that. He's undefeated all year, so they are putting a... Um, a lot of shine on him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so from there, we'll move on to match number four. It's the AEW TNT Championship match. Uh, so it's Cody with 
Arn Anderson in his corner versus Lance Archer with Jake Roberts in his corner. Um, had you seen any photos of the championship before this match? No, I had Okay. So Mike Tyson comes out and he's like wearing the AEW TNT championship with the commentators mentioning that the championship has not been completed because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Did you like the look of this title as it was before they mentioned that? Uh, quite frankly, it looked like the 24-7 title had a genetically inferior baby with the Raw Tag Team title. And no, I hated it. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> the sort of the first response I had to it as well was, oh my, this looks very... 2470 under done sort of quick fought out championship um they did mention the commentators yeah that it wasn't finished it needed to have gold plating added to it so this is like a, a version one if you will um so we get into the entrances Arns talking to Cody on the rampway covers his mouth and as the camera zooms in, we can clearly see that Arn's grabbed the wrong playbook, which reads Cody v. Wardlow. Oh, dear. So I don't know if he had the right one on the other side that he wasn't showing to the camera, or if he just had the wrong <laughs> playbook. Um, as the match gets started, Archer goes for the EBD claw, and Cody tries for an arm submission, but both men break. Cody goes for his jumping cutter, but Archer lands a huge pounce. Sending Cody outside. Later on, Archer's walking the ropes and hits a moonsault. Followed by pressing Cody over the post onto the floor. Cody was caught in the crossface, but Archer broke the hold once Cody grabbed onto his braids. Cody then hits a bionic elbow and a final reckoning to Archer, but Archer manages to kick out at two. Cody then hits a stinger splash. Followed by Archer climbing the rope in Cody's corner as referee Remsberg is dealing with Jake on the other side. Anderson knocks Archer off the corner, and Cody capitalises by hitting a suplex. Referee Turner arrives from the back to tell referee Remsberg that Arn interfered. Referee Remsberg then decides to eject Arn and Jake from ringside. Jake decides to come back to the ringside area with his snake bag, but is met by shirtless Mike Tyson and decides to retreat. Cody blocks the blackout and hits two crossroads to win the match and become the first TNT champion in 2109. In the post-match, the shirtless Mike Tyson gets in the ring and presents the championship to Cody. What do you think of this match? Um, I am a huge Cody Rhodes fan. Um, most of... His matches, his big matches from last year were in contention for my match of the year, and I believe his match with Dustin did get match of the year in our year-end awards. And I'm sure all of his other matches were pretty close. But my issue with Cody at the moment is he's still wrestling for a crowd that isn't there. Is providing the peaks and valleys to get the crowd emotionally invested, but there isn't a crowd 
feeding off of that emotion that is putting out there. If that makes any sense, like... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The match starts off hot, it slows down a bit. That's generally where you get the fans to sort of take a breath and then start to build them back up again. But with no crowd there, or no real crowd, like this crowd that AOW's putting out, it's noise, which is nice, but they're not really... reacting to anything they're just making noise they're not like a um a normal crowd would be the the other wrestlers and yeah uh wrestlers family so are sitting ringside either cheering or booing depending on what alliance their family is so if you got half the crowd booing and half the crowd cheering it just sounds like noise it's just noise for the sake of noise which i don't know is it a good thing is it a bad thing who knows but I find that... It's better than watching WWE with no crowd. Yeah, well... So, Cody, like, huge fan, but I don't believe that his style works without a crowd. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I was surprised they sort of went Cody over Archer here, Archer being the new big dominant monster, but they sort of were backed into a corner, do we give Cody the championship knowing he can't challenge for the world title or do we give it to Archer, this new dominant monster that we've just brought in? Um, One note here I had on old JR here was he said, Cody has won the TNA championship. Yeah. Uh, He also got... He he corrects himself too and then goes, TNA championship? What's that? Just making a little big, like covering it up. It was perfect. Uh, yeah, so uh, from there we go to the Alex Marvez interview backstage with AEW Dr. Michael Sampson. He said that Britt Baker will address her injuries this week on Dynamite. Match number five is a singles match. It's Chris Statlander versus Penelope Ford with Kip Sabian. Penelope Ford is the late replacement for Britt Baker. Um, as Chris enters, she goes and boops everyone around ringside, and Kip Sabian comes out all taped up after his ladder match earlier in the night. Not really much to write home about here, just in the closing stage. Chris hit a slam into the Big Bang Fury for the win in 8.08. The only note I have to mention is that Penelope Ford's entrance music is a real banger. Like, it's really good. Um, everyone check that out. It's a good... AW doesn't have the best track record of music for me so far, so a couple of bright spots is Penelope Ford's music and Darby Allen's music, but... What about Chris Statlander's? No. <laughs> I do. I actually do enjoy Chris Statlander's little boop thing. I don't know. I think it'll get over. Oh, just you wait until the fans are allowed back in and, well, if they can touch the crowd by then and she does it to, like, most of the front row, they'll go crazy. What, what they should do is sell, like, like, giant, like, prosthetic E.T. fingers, and then they do the E.T. finger with Chris Statlander if they're wearing the fake finger. Yeah, that could be done. Yeah, 
that's merchandise made for AEW. You're welcome, guys. <laughs> so from there, we go on to match number six. It's Dustin Rhodes versus Sean Spears. Before the match, Sean enters with a full suit, tells the referee to ring the bell and start the can out. Dustin music. Dustin's music plays, but he's not there, and Sean is smiling as he set all this up. He goes to say that he's going to win before Dustin's music plays again, and Brandy walks out smiling at Sean, while Dustin appears from behind Sean in the ring. Um, the bell's already rung, so this match is official as Dustin starts to undress Spears. The camera zooms in on Spears's crotch, and there's this weird pink blob <laughs> on his underwear. So later on, the camera zooms in, and it's Tully Blanchard's face. Okay, I thought you didn't say it. It was a picture of Tully Blanchard. He's in his underwear as he climbs back into the ring. Dustin hits the final reckoning for the win in uh, 4.10. Uh, this was the low point on the card for me. <laughs> this was... Um... This whole section of the card, like the match before this and this match, yeah, this wasn't it for me. I don't know why this Sean Spears-Dustin thing wasn't on the pre-show. I think they sort of overvalued Dustin Rhodes' draw power, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. I don't think anyone really cares if Dustin Rhodes retires at this point. Like, especially if they're going to do it in the way that they're sort of teasing it at the moment. They're going to have to put a lot of effort into Dustin Rhodes if they want people to care about it. Didn't he say he was going to retire if he lost to Archer? No, he said he would retire if he lost to Kip Sabian in the first round. Ah, okay. He never said, yeah, that's the sort of loophole. But that's where I thought he said. I thought he said if he didn't win the title, he was going to retire. Said if he didn't win that match in that particular round of that particular to- tournament. Yeah, it was just really stupid the way they did that. So a video package is announcing all out to take place on Saturday, September 5th, with a location to be announced later. And then a graphic is paying tribute to Hana Kimura, and in this one they did show a photo of Hana. Which leads into the AEW Women's Championship match, no disqualification, no count out. It's Nyla Rose, the champion, versus Hikaru Shida. Hikaru enters first with a determined look on her face, and she has special ring gear, which is Final Fantasy inspired. Um, usually Hikaru comes out, she's all smiley and waving to the crowd. This time she was just stone-faced. She got in the corner, she took her robe off, and she didn't leave the uh, corner until the bell rang. Yeah, that actually was really good. Like, it's one of those situations where not doing anything is better than doing anything. Like, she's so serious about it. She was so serious about beating this monster she just wanted to get in there and do it and there's no mucking around today so the bell rings Nyla still has Hikaru's kendo stick and swings for it but Hikaru knocks it out and gains control of the kendo stick 
They're fighting in ringside when Nyla press slams Sheeta over the guardrail and into a poker table that's part of the set ringside. They brawl around the ringside crowd area with Sheeta hip-tossing Nyla onto a giant poker chip stack. Hikaru takes a giant run-up and lands a flying knee, sending Nyla into a giant standing poker chip. Back in the ring, Nyla sets up a table in the corner before sending Hikaru through it with a powerbomb, but only gets a two-count. In the closing stages, Sheeta hits an avalanche falcon arrow off the top rope, and a running knee is met with a kendo stick. Sheeta roars back to life, hits a running knee and another running knee for the win in 1647. Uh, Post-match, Sheeta is overcome with emotion in the ring whilst celebrating and the commentary is talking about her connection to Hanakamura. Alright. Now, as much as I was saying the thing at the start of the show with the waves and the mention of Shad Gaspard might have been overthinking, the, the following thoughts of mine might be considered overthinking, but I, it made me a little uncomfortable and took me out of the match. JR kept talking about how badly Nyla Rose is bullying Hikaru Shida like through this whole feud, through this match. The, just the mention of the word bullying, and especially knowing Hikaru Shida's uh, connections with Hanukamura, it made me a little uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, I, di- I didn't even pick up on that. To be, to be honest, I think I was just that engaged in the in the match itself to pay much attention to the commentary on this match. Unfortunately, I, JR just has a way of just catching my attention for all the wrong reasons. I, JR's... Mm, he's sort of ruining his credibility with this run with AEW, in my opinion. But... um. This match was a really good match. There was just that one those that one mention of bullying that made me really uncomfortable and it took me out. Which is similar to something that we'll talk about later on. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. Um there's been a lot of discussion about AEW's women's division starting off with Rio and then Rio being stuck in um Japan with various uh, commitment dates and not being in AEW as much and then Nyla gained the championship during the pandemic and do you think this is what the division needs with Shida as the champion to sort of steady course now that the company is a year old? Uh, Shida is a fantastic baby face and she is the right woman to be the champion but because of this whole pandemic, it sort of meant that we didn't get to see much of Nyla Rose whilst she was champion. And I feel like they were sort of put put into a corner where I think no matter what, Sheeta was going to win the title a double or nothing. But... Yeah, I'll, I'll agree there. I think... Sorry, I'll agree there. I think it was Sheeta's time to win. Yeah, I, I think so too, but it feels like at this point that 
even though Nyla Rose won the title like months ago now, it feels like she never got the chance to have a proper title run just because of this whole pandemic thing. So I do kind of feel bad because I think Nyla Rose has actually greatly improved. And she's actually won me over a lot. At first, I wasn't that into it. Um, so from there, we move on to the co-main event. It is match number eight, your AEW World Championship match. John Moxley, your champion, defending against Mr. Brody Lee with the Dark Order. Um, so there's a security wall in the ring before the bell rings as Brody still has possession of the championship and the men begin brawling around ringside once the bell rings. They fight by the time keepers area and around the playing cards as part of the set. Mox threw a poker chip at Lee and both men fell through the stage at one point. Back in the ring, Mox hits a paradigm shift before Lee kicks out at one. Uh, Mox hits a number of knees before hitting a paradigm shift for a two count and then applies a bulldog choke into a rear naked choke and Lee passes out as Moxley retains in 1528. Um, I'm going into this match, I wasn't that high on this feud. I wasn't looking forward to this match. Uh, the feud was so lackluster for me that it made me forget that at one point in time, Dean Ambrose and Luke Harper were tearing it up and having amazing matches for the Intercontinental title in the WWE. I forgot all about it. These guys come out and they put on a really solid, good match for my for my taste anyway. I really enjoyed this match. Yeah, I'd have to agree for the most part. I thought it just suffered from its um, placement on the card for my tastes. I think there was about... Two to three matches too many on this card. Like, I don't think you should be doing a four-hour show in the pandemic. Like, <sighs> there's just not the crowd for it. You can't do a four-hour show without a proper crowd, in my opinion. Yeah, it does start to become a bit bit much when you're asking for that much uh, time. Well, you, you look at the length of the latest WWE pay-per-view, like... Or was that just just over two hours? Uh, oh, money in the bank. Um, yeah, probably about that without the pre-show. The pre-shows never count, Hoggy. I don't know why you keep watching these things. You just you're just a real dedicated reporter. I understand that, but no one cares. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. Um. Yeah, so this whole card, yeah, two to three matches, too too many. If you got rid of the Sean Spears match, if you got rid of, uh, what was it, Penelope Ford and... Statlander. Statlander. And you got rid of about five to ten minutes off of that ladder match, I think you got a really solid easy to stay focused interesting card but yeah you're right this match may have suffered from being on a fairly 
strenuous card to watch. Yeah, and then we move on to possibly your main event of the evening, a video announcing the arrival of AEW action figures coming soon. Yeah, toys. All right. All right, let's talk about it. (laughs) Actually, these were announced... um, These were officially announced at Toy Fair in about February, about a week or two before the pandemic happened. Oh, really? Yeah. So they even announced a um, second line of figures, like a second series, like featuring Hangman and MJF. And I think they even showed the Moxley one, which is meant to come out series two. But um, yeah, I know they showed. Brandy, the Bucks, Cody, and Mox off the top of my head. Yeah, and they also show Jericho because that's one of the better ones. The Mox one kind of looks weird in the face. Yeah. (laughs) But for those listeners that haven't figured it out by now, I am a wrestling figure collector. And AEW, like this, like, quality of figures that they have shows the attention to detail that they have for their fan base and it was one of the first things they mentioned we want to provide good merchandise for our fans and all that sort of stuff we want to provide action figures we want to get you guys a video game all that sort of stuff and these guys are just going above and beyond now, these figures they're selling are about 20 American dollars each. And they have, and WWE sells figures for $20 American each. So the same price point then. But the figures WWE sells has about six or seven points of articulation less and the same and WWE also has a figure that costs 35 American dollars which is the exact same quality as what AEW is selling so that just tells you something guys if you're thinking about buying figures and someday down the road there's AEW and WWE figures on the shelf buy the AEW stuff it's better price and it's better quality. Myself, yeah, not as a um, collector. Like, I've only got one figure. <laughs> the one figure that I used to play with when I went around to your house as a kid. Yeah, the one that you still want to buy off me. <laughs> I mainly want that TV that you can break over Xbox head. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it's interesting to hear that AEW are matching the same sort of quality as um, WWE because as someone who doesn't really collect them, I was just looking at it going, oh, they look pretty similar. So I guess that's good as well. And they're cheaper on the market and they match WWE's cheaper version as well. Yeah, so WWE do sell figures at the same price point, but their highest price point figures for WWE... AEW's base figures are the same quality as. So please support this stuff because this is insanely good. If 
there's any figure collectors out there. And uh, I think we should move on. Yes, uh, it's time for the Stadium Stampede match. So it's Broken Matt Hardy and the Elite, which is Hangman Adam Page, Kenny Omega, and the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson, versus the Inner Circle, that's Chris Jericho, Jake Hager, Sammy Guevara, and Proud and Powerful Santana and Ortiz. Um, what were you expecting before this match started? Um, I honestly had no idea what this match was going to be at all. I, they said something about the ring would be on the 50-yard line. I didn't even know what they meant by that. I didn't understand what the rules were going to be going into this. Yeah, so neither did I. All I knew was there was going to be a ring on the field and the two teams, and it's sort of five-on-five, and that's all I knew. Okay, so as the teams make their entrance onto TIAA Bank Field, the Jacksonville Jaguars cheerleaders band and mascot are all on the sideline cheering along each end zone is painted in the faction logos as well as the AEW logo on the halfway line which I thought was a nice touch um, any Aussie listeners who have seen like a AFL or NRL grand final where they paint the team logos on either end and the uh, grand final logo on the halfway mark it was similar to that Um, So even though Justin Roberts has been away this whole time, he's doing the ring announcing over the stadium's PA speakers, which I thought was a nice touch. Yeah, yeah. I um, loved the Inner Circle's entrance. As the Inner Circle enter, they're all in NFL-style gear. Number 27, Chris Jericho. Number 72, Jake Hager. Number 51, Santana. Number 50, Ortiz. And number 93, Guevara. The Elite enter, and they're all in normal gears at the other end. With the Young Bucks, Matt has taped up ribs. Kenny Omega and Broken Matt Hardy. But Hangman Page is missing and not there for the start. Uh, It's announced as... Falls count anywhere, and the commentators are calling all the action. Both teams start on respective 20-yard lines, and referee Aubrey is in the ring, blows the whistle to officially start the match. Now, both teams run towards one another, carrying various weapons. They begin to brawl on the field around the ring. Everyone is down for a moment, and Sammy looks off towards the Elite's end zone, and Hangman Page arrives on a horse and begins to chase down Sammy. I love this. <laughs> oh, this is so good. Did they say what the horse's name was? Because I know his first one, Hunter Horse Helmsley, died. Yeah, I, I don't think they named this one, and I think that might be them learning from last time. <laughs> don't name, Don't name the horses. Don't name the horse, especially if it's... Especially because it will die eventually. You're just going to make it harder for yourself if you name it. Isn't that the rule if you're a kid on the farm? Don't name the pigs because we'll eat them. Exactly. Everyone is left on the field with action spilling into the ring as they continue to fight and Sammy returns 
from the stadium back onto the playing field. The action now spills down towards the elite's end zone with Matt climbing onto, while Matt climbs the ladder onto the goal post and does a moonsault on a Sammy, Jericho and Nick. On the other side of the stadium, Santana and Ortiz are brawling up the grandstand with Kenny and Hardy. Hangman is still in the concourse under the stadium looking for Sammy. He sees something he likes, jumps off the horse, tells the horse to stay, and goes down a hallway, which <laughs> leads to the bar. So Hangman's like, stuff this, I'm just going for a drink. Back to the act. Santana and Ortiz are attacking Kenny and Hardy in the rally zone. Kenny fights back and builds a bridge on food tables, but gets salt thrown in his eyes, and Santana and Ortiz put Kenny through the guardrail bridge with a double powerbomb. Matt Hardy returns to save Kenny, but Santana and Ortiz still have the numbers. They take Hardy over to the rally zone pool and toss him in. Santana jumps in after Hardy, but Ortiz climbs in slowly because he can't swim. They hold Hardy under the water as Excalibur says they're drowning him. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, I said earlier there was a point... I said earlier that there was two points in this show that really took me out of a really good fun match. And this was the whole bullying thing in the Nyla match earlier. And then this is the second one. This, I feel like this wasn't even necessary to do. Like, I don't think it played any decent part into the match. Like, I don't think this even needed to happen, and I think it was kind of tone-deaf, especially when you got the commentator saying he's drowning him, and you got... It was either Santana or Ortiz that was just like, yeah, well, let's kill him! Let's kill him! I was like, oh... They they should have cut this out in hindsight. Um, so as Matt's been held under... He reappears, and it's V1 Matt Hardy. They then grab him and hold him back under the water. There's a camera underwater showing Matt posing to the camera, along with a matter of fact, which says Matt can hold his breath for 345 seconds. He gets back out of the water, does his pose, and goes, oh yeah, before being resubmerged a final time. As Santana and Ortiz leave the pool, Excalibur said Matt Hardy left for dead as he's floating on top of the pool. Yeah, poor choice of words. That particular, like, phrasing and what Matt Hardy was doing, like, that that was the point there that was like... Like, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I... I paused the show at this point and just sort of went away for a bit. I, like, went and had lunch because I was like, this has taken me completely out of it. And if I continue watching at this point with the amount of emotion I had at this point of the match, I wouldn't appreciate the rest of the match. So I ended up finishing this match later on in the night. Fair enough. Um... Hardy reawakens and throws Santana and Ortiz back into the pool. 
JR says at this point, we all loved Vanguard 1, bless his little airplane heart, <laughs> which I just found so weird for JR to say. Hardy then puts Ortiz across a table as Santana gets up and says, we ain't done with you yet. <laughs> which I thought was very similar to uh, the Good Brothers in the Boneyard match. Oh, yeah. We ain't done with you yet. Needs more electric guitar. (laughs) Everything needs more cheesy guitar solos to it. I actually think this match would have been perfect with the soundtrack, (laughs) especially in the bar scene. We'll get there in just a moment. Hardy proceeds to back body drop Santana onto Ortiz, takes Ortiz, puts his head under the stadium bell and rings it before placing him in the chair of wheels and taping him there. Hardy then takes Santana and puts him in an ice freezer, locking him in. Yeah, so um, are we to believe that that, uh, Santana or whoever is just frozen? (laughs) Santana is, yeah, frozen. Probably for the rest of this match until they get up and get him. Is that enough enough time? Like, can he survive in a high-powered industrial freezer for that amount of time? Who knows? Sure, I guess. (laughs) Well, by the time he gets out, he's got frostbite, so he'd have to go to the EMTs and get looked at, so sure. They probably went and got him straight away and he had to go to the local medical facility. Wrong show, pal. So Hager is walking along the concourse underneath the stadium looking for Hangman. And he sees the horse as the crowd begins to chant, horse, horse, horse. And he walks down towards the bar. Ah, the the horse chant was so good. (laughs) It was just so unexpected. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Everything involving Hangman in this entire storyline, this entire company let alone this match, has been perfect. Like, Hangman is just... I didn't think he would shine as much as he is. Like, I thought he was one of those guys that would always be branded with he has so much potential, but he never gets there. But he somehow got there. And it's fantastic. Um, so Hangman's in the bar drinking whiskey, and as Hager walks in, he pours him a drink. The two brawl around the bar, with Hangman breaking a pool cue over Hager's back. Hager then drives Hangman back first in the pool table, and then runs him along the top of the bar like it's a western with the Duke. That was, like, so badass. That's the thing that really needed a soundtrack, like an old Western soundtrack or, like, something playing on the jukebox in the bar, that would have been perfect. Kenny arrives in the bar to help Hangman as the two begin to break a number of bottles across Hager's head. Kenny hits Hager with a V-trigger and Hangman hits a buckshot lariat over Kenny's back to send Hager over the top of the bar. Kenny and Hangman pour each other a drink and toast before leaving the buckshot bar. (laughs) Outside on the field, Matt grabs Sammy and hits a Northern Lights suplex on the elite goal line, and then another, and another, while Jericho and Nick are fighting by the bench on the sideline. Jericho throws the first down marker into Nick. They cross back to Matt, who's now suplexed Sammy 40 yards upfield. 
Nick grabs footballs and begins to throw them at Jericho, including one that landed a bit low. <laughs> Jericho fights back with an eye gouge and throws Nick headfirst into the Jaguar's mouth by the bench. Jackson DeVille, the Jaguar's mascot, begins thrusting at Jericho and receives a Judas effect for his trouble. They cross back to Matt and Sammy, who's now been suplexed 80 yards upfield. Jericho grabs a construction cone and is going hee 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 as he turns and walks into a Nick super kick right into the practice net by the bench. Jericho then is flung into the padded wall but grabs Floyd the bat and hits Nick with it. Goes for the pinfall, referee Aubrey counts two, Jericho demanding that was three. Jericho's team captain challenges the play, throwing a flag on the field, and referee Aubrey and Jericho go to check the replay in the ref's tent. Aubrey saying, you can't be in here, and then goes on to say, see, he kicked out. Jericho says, the camera's lying, before Aubrey announced that the call on the field stands and the match will continue. Jericho comes back by saying, you're a crappy referee. He also said the the camera is a lie. It was so funny. Matt's now suplex Sammy 100 yards upfield and spikes Sammy headfirst into the turf. He t- decides to celebrate with an Alec Wright dance and referee Mike Knox flags for excessive celebrating and unsportsmanlike conduct and he calls for a penalty but gets super kicked. So what I was hoping for here is uh, because of the fact that one of my mates has a fantasy NFL league, I do know a little, just a smidgen about NFL. What I was hoping for here was that Rick Knox says, it's a 15-yard penalty, so then Matt Jackson has to drag Sammy 15 yards back the other way and then starts doing it all over again. That's the only thing that it was missing. (laughs) Both the young bucks have Jericho laid over a table. As Nick runs up the grandstand steps, runs back down, jumps the guardrail, and crashes through the table onto Jericho. Hanman returns onto the field with a line marker and runs over Jericho with it, painting over Jericho's gear. They then cross to Sammy who's trying to crawl back towards Jericho as the sprinklers go off and he's suddenly running around thinking he's won the match but looks off into the distance and sees a golf cart with Hardy and Kenny in it. Sammy starts running for his life, climbs the wall and is now in the grandstand as Kenny and Hardy follow. He climbs towards a camera platform area that looks like it would be used during football games and suddenly a buzzing noise can be heard as Neo-1 appears. Sammy is caught off guard, runs into a V-trigger, Kenny picks Sammy up, hits a super one-winged angel from the camera platform into an end zone platform near field level. Referee Aubrey grabs a ladder to count the pinfall and declares the Elite the winners at 34 minutes. Boy, it was besides one particular thing this was a hoot i loved this this was almost my match of the night so post-match matt jackson gives kenny and hangman a gatorade shower while the elite and 
Hardy stand in the Elite's end zone with fireworks going off in the background. The Bucks, Kenny and Matt Hardy all pose with Hangman looking around and they go to black. I really enjoyed this match. Like, again, the um, the pull of reincarnation uh, incident didn't really cross my mind until after the fact and second watching, which, yes, in hindsight, it should have been cut out and you still wouldn't have missed anything. Exactly. That whole pull thing was unnecessary except for the fact that they did... Yeah, the the stupid Matt Hardy swatch, uh, swapping characters thing that I I don't even like that much because now without the WWE's permission, he's just turning into like we have Matt Hardy V one at home brand sort of thing. Like we want Matt Hardy version one. No, no, we got Matt Hardy version one at home. Here it is. Instead of Matt Facts, you've got Matter of Facts. Ugh. It was just like him changing into bootleg copies of himself. I didn't like it. I don't... I, I did love, like, a lot of Matt Hardy's other stuff he did in this match. But quite frankly, for me, Matt Hardy's not really doing it for me in AEW at the moment. Yeah, and he's one of those performers who's suffered the whole time with a um empty crowd, same as Brody Lee over there, so there's no Yeah, but that's the thing. That's the thing though. Matt Hardy is known for being the no crowd performer, yet they're not giving us anything at the compound. I wonder if that's a thing though he doesn't want it because hasn't um him and Rebby just had their third child not that long ago. Yeah, that's true, but I just feel like they could still do some of the wacky Matt Hardy stuff, but they're not really doing it. Just doing it in an empty arena setting, which doesn't really work for me. Like, Matt Hardy, broken Matt Hardy, is fantastic as long as you keep him as far away from a wrestling arena as possible. He should he is his own universe. Maybe they'll spin him and uh, Jericho off now into a singles program and you could do it there. Well, do you, I don't know if, how regularly I, I don't know how regularly you watch Dynamite, but like about a month ago Matt Hardy did a promo on Dynamite challenging Chris Jericho to a match at the Hardy compound. And Chris Jericho was on commentary at the time, just completely ignored it. The next week happens, Matt Hardy challenges him again. Jericho ignores it. And then since then, they haven't even referenced it. So I don't know what's going on there. But if there is any wrestler on the AEW roster at the moment that is perfect for a Matt Hardy compound match, it is what we are seeing from Chris Jericho right now. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Um, so I'll just run through some positives and negatives. Uh, the buy-in, I did enjoy it. Sort of brought you up to speed on some of the thoughts from the two men for the new championship. Plus, it was a fun tag match. So half an hour isn't a complete waste of time when you look at 
WWE's two hours and they just stand around talking the whole time. Um, I thought it was a nice touch honouring the wrestlers who didn't even wrestle in your company in Shad Gaspard and Hana Kimura. The casino ladder match, I sort of have mixed feelings on. I thought, for the most part, it was good. The um, SCU sort of not going for the championship and winning straight away, I didn't really <laughs> understand. Yeah, all in all, that ladder match, in my opinion, is just a vehicle to quickly get Cage ready for the world championship spot. Um, the MJF Jungle Boy match was really good, a good standout of the night. The Nyla Rose Hikaru Shida match I enjoyed. The Stadium Stampede match, for the most part, I really enjoyed. Um, and then just a couple of quick negatives. Uh, some parts of JR's commentary, again, like Jungle Boy Jack Perry, if the company's not going in that direction, maybe you don't need to bring it up every week. Uh, the casino match where SCU were 1-2 and two and decided not to win it right there and then. The TNT Championship match was alright. I thought it just didn't deliver at a, what I thought would be a championship-level match with Cody. Chris Statlander and Penelope Ford was good, but um, a late replacement, I thought it would have been better off being cut from the card and just have a crisp backstage promo instead. Uh, Dustin Roses and Sean Spears was a dynamite segment at best, and before the actual zoom in and reveal of Tully's face, it did look like a wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> <laughs> um, the championship match with Mox and Brody Lee... I just thought it sort of suffered uh, where it was on card placement. You had Hikaru Shida uh, winning in an emotional match with um, the Hanakamura uh, graphic just before that match, and then you had the big stadium stampede match to follow, so it sort of suffered from that. And, of course, the uh, pool spot in the stadium stampede and Excalibur's commentary during that, which... I did see a number of people bringing up after I had viewed for the first time. Um, do you have any overall positives or negatives that you didn't have a chance to bring up earlier? Uh, no, I, I pretty much brought up everything I needed to say. Um, overall, I enjoyed the show. I'm going to give it, out of a six-pack, three and a half beers out of a six-pack. Oh, wow. I thought you might have gone a bit higher. And I'm a major AEW mark, and I only gave it a 3.5. Yeah, I thought it was an amazing show, and I think all the shows during this COVID-19 era are going to be graded on a, on a curve scale compared to what we would normally. For that reason, I gave this four beers. I thought... Good show, didn't drag for the most part. Um, positives far outweigh the negatives, and there was just one or two things that could have been cut to make it a better show. So that being said, Alex, is there 
much more to talk about AEW. I don't think so. Um, I'll be perfectly honest with you guys. I'm I'm just so sick of wrestling during this time period. Like, I'm just done with this setting of wrestling. With the empty arena North American shows? Yeah, I'm just done with it. Like, it's really worn me out. Like, I don't even make an effort to watch Raw anymore, which it's it's taken me years, but I've finally gotten there. Like, I'll occasionally watch SmackDown if if I'm at home on a Saturday. Dude, I, I watched Dynamite last week about a day late. Like, I just, I'm just done with this setting. I just want everyone to just have a break. Yeah, and I think... Do some reruns. I'm sick of this. Yeah, like, WWE still going forward. Like, people are saying they're still doing... 205 Live for whatever reason. And their whole tournament's another discussion in itself. I'm not too sure, but I think they're still doing main events. Like, surely those shows you could cut and just put best best matches on or past matches or... Like, you have 205 Live, for example, you've got access to that entire WCW Cruiserweight, ECW Cruiserweight... Hooven 2, Liger, Guerrero, Ray. Yeah, Evan Courageous. Alex Wright. Yeah, yeah, Disco Inferno. Lash LaRue. That's for you. That's for you, Warwick Thompson, if you're listening. I'll make him listen again. (laughs) But yeah, like, I've... I think I said this to you last time off air that I'm not really watching that much, and if I am, I'm just going back to check the Aussies and the Kiwis out on Raw, SmackDown, or NXT because I've sort of hit me wall on this. Yeah, yeah. Remember when Brendan Vink and uh, Shane Thorne used to be on TV, but then they got a manager and now they're not on TV anymore? Yeah, you think it'd be the other way around. But their manager is on TV more. <laughs> no, it's like, oh. Because now MVP manages Bobby Lashley, so now MVP's just completely forgotten about Binky and Thorn. Uh, okay, why not? It's like WWE logic. Like, didn't Natty lose last week to oh, the Shana MMA Bay. girl? Yeah, Shayna Baszler. And then this week she's in the number one contenders match and. I don't understand how that doesn't make sense to you. (laughs) And then in NXT, you have the Cruiserweight Interim Tournament where each block was tied, but Block B has a a named winner, but Block A has a tiebreaker. Like, honestly, like, people should have known better than to start doing, like... G1 math? (laughs) Yeah, like, for WWE to have even a... Small crack at a round robin tournament. Nah, they should have known better. They've got to keep it simple because they've never done it before, and I think this is the reason why. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I did just read that Drew Gulak's back. He got signed by the WWE. 
Yeah, I've seen conflicting reports there. I've seen one that said that he asked for more money and he was told to finish up his dates and then go, and then one that said that he was um, re-signed. Yeah, so that all did happen. He His contract did expire. But as of today, he's officially been moved back onto the SmackDown roster section of the WWE website. Oh, well, good for him. He's still got a job, I suppose. Yeah, that's just who I... Because whenever someone's contract expires, the 90-day no-compete clause is gone. That's who I was hoping to see in that ladder match. I suppose, speaking of the, the ladder match, we can sort of talk about that. Which did you think worked better, the ladder match this year or the Casino Battle Royale last year? Honestly, like, both of them suck. As a concept, they both suck. Like, just give us a bloody rumble. Just give us a ladder match. But... The, this casino ladder match worked a lot better than the casino battle royale because at least you're getting the one entrant per entry. You're not getting five people coming in at a time stealing each other's pop. Yeah. Um, the only criticism I'll have of this is that one and two can win the match before everyone else enters and one and two were a tag team and they didn't work together. Yeah, you've mentioned that several times now, so I'm starting to think that really, really grinded your gears a bit. What? Tag team wrestling annoying me? No, never. (laughs) Rules. God damn it. Yeah. Um, So I suppose we'll be back next week for the uh, February show. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just needed to have a little bit of time to sort of just process everything going on in the world. But next week we'll be back, back to our old selves and talking about February. Yeah, so on that show we'll um we'll announce our uh, June schedule on that show as well. So June 3rd, February 2020 in Australia, New Zealand Wrestling. Um, but before we go, just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify and Podbean and remember to search for us on Twitter and Facebook. Alex, where can the good people follow you if they want to see what you're up to or what figures you've got? Uh, if you want to check out any figures I have, go to Instagram at FruityIsAlex. If you want to follow me on Twitter, follow at FruityIsAlex. Same old thing. Um, I don't tweet much. But I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm going to start tweeting a little bit more here and there. I think I tried to do a live tweet along with the Double or Nothing, but I gave up after one tweet. So if you go on my Twitter, you'll just see, like, AEW is a host territory now. Hashtag AEW Double or Nothing. And then I just gave up after the first match. Just talking about how AEW actually has a decent host division now. Yeah. Um. But yeah, uh, I try to. I'm trying to tweet a bit more. I put up a 
fairly uh, heartfelt thing on Twitter after the news of Hunter Kimura. I actually put a bit of effort into writing that particular note along with the tweet. But uh, that's where you can find me. Also, add me on the PlayStation 4 at Fruity is Alex because I'm still bored and still wanting to play games with people. Uh, what wrestling games do you have if anyone out there wants to challenge you? I unfortunately have them all. <laughs> like, for the PS4, I, I have everything. You name a wrestling game, I have it. And yes, I have 2K20. If you want to give me a follow, at I am Chris Thunder. Yeah, just my timeline's sort of a mess at the moment. Um, yeah, just when Alex sort of told me the news, I sort of just started looking at different videos and posts of uh, Hunter Kimura. So at the moment, my feed's fairly flooded of that and a few different matches of hers I found on YouTube and whatnot. Um... Yeah, but uh, usually I just tweet out random things. If I'm watching a show, I'll tweet out whether I like it or not or other various things. Um, you should tweet more about how good Sib Vicious is. <laughs> if I ever get around to watching an old Nitro, we might do that. Oh, there's that Nitro where Sid gets his car squashed into one of those little cubes and then he gets really angry. And he starts jumping up and down on his squashed car cube and screaming, Why me? Why me? It's the best thing ever. Did he only have 30 minutes to move his cube? <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. Uh, yeah, but just in a week where wrestling news hasn't been nice, just just be kind to each other and we thought... Just something a bit different, double or nothing, to watch and take our minds off things for the most part. Um, yeah, just be kind to each other. Anything else to say, Alex? Uh, just share the pod if you like it. Just share it. Don't even have to give us feedback. Just share it with a friend. Tell a friend about it. Tell a phone. Tell a friend. Tell a wrestler. Tell... Telegram, whatever. I think I need coffee. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll see you all June 3rd for February 2020 in Australia and New Zealand. Peace. Brian Cage could be the next Sid Vicious. <laughs> <laughs>